Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Hey, it's an honor to be talking with uh, my friend Zane Yi. How are you? Doing good, Alex. Good to be chatting with you, too. Great. Well, I want to jump into um, your work with the Society of Adventist Philosophers. And um, I'm wondering if you would just talk about uh, how long the Society's been around. Uh, well, this November, I'm actually in the middle of planning or getting some of the planning for that finalized we're if you're going to count the first year we met to organize uh we've been around for about a decade about 10 years now nice congrats hey yeah it's a milestone yeah well um you've got a conference coming up and it's uh, a pretty interesting one what's the um uh, kind of emphasis that you're uh um using for your uh, call for papers yeah we're focusing on the uh, topic of truth um, you know, every year we choose a, uh, a different topic. I'm trying to rotate to cover different uh, people's interests. Um, and yeah, this year, it being, I guess, our, our 10th year gathering, we thought uh, truth would be a very fitting topic, not only because it's the classic perennial philosophical question, but it seems like um, something that a lot of people are thinking about just uh, culturally, right? Uh, yeah. Post-truth. Yeah, is it something that we can get at? Um, how do we know it? Uh, should we should we be telling the truth all the time? These kinds of questions. So we thought it'd be a, a great topic to kind of uh, think about together. Yeah. Well, I want to jump back to that, but I'd like to actually kind of talk about uh, how you grew up and how you became interested in philosophy. Um, would you mind just talking a little bit about uh, where you were born and and um, how? You, yeah, and and kind of how you moved around Adventism in your early years? Hey, um, sure. Uh, let's see. I grew up um, on the northeast side of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where I was born. And, uh, yeah, I grew up um, attending a small Korean Adventist church uh, in the area. Uh, my mother had converted to Adventism shortly before I was born. And, yeah, a lot of my formative years uh, were, uh, yeah, around church actually growing up. Did you enjoy um, that experience? Yeah. You know, I mean, man, it was like when I was a kid, uh, the church was in many ways like my world. Um, it, you know, I, I'd be there basically at church or around church people, uh, all weekend on most weekends. Uh, so it wasn't really, it was, I don't know if it was something I enjoyed or didn't enjoy. It was just kind of the fabric of my life. Um, and I didn't know different. Do you have a really good memory of those kind of uh, early years at church or something that kind of lingers, something that you feel like you want to pass on or that kind of functions as a, I don't know, a lodestone for you? <laughs> you mean pass on to like uh, my my own family and my kids? Yeah. Or... Yeah, you know, um, I think, you know, for me, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think uh, it was just a lot of close friendships and uh, memories for me uh, growing up. 
uh, of course, of doing things like uh, going to Sabbath school and and doing worship and things like that. But that was um, actually not what I probably remember the most or appreciate the most. It was just, you know, yeah, some of my best friends growing up uh, were from church. Um, and a lot of my role models and mentors that I looked up to uh, were those older than me, um, kind of uh, showing me the way. But then other than that, just having a lot of fun, uh, camping trips, uh, playing tennis, um, bowling, um, hanging out at people's houses. I mean, this is a thing about, I think this is something that's shared with maybe a lot of ethnic churches. Um, but church is not like something that happens just uh, for a couple hours on Saturday morning. Uh, yeah. It's something that on Friday night, and then it goes uh, all day Saturday, uh, late into Saturday evening, and <laughs> sometimes even on Sunday and Sunday mornings too, right? So this uh-huh. is like an all, all-encompassing kind of experience. Yeah, I think the um, part of the issue with Adventism these days is we forget how connected it is to uh, community and culture and American Adventism is so full of varieties of expression. Um, I I think that you're absolutely right to point out how it can really connect folks together in a, in a kind of friendship way beyond just uh, beliefs and behaviors. You know, I think uh, looking back, something that, you know, I didn't realize this until much later, but, you know, I grew up and I was a single parent at home. So my uh, folks had gotten divorced and I was uh, basically uh, brought up by my mom. And, you know, it was really my church uh, community uh, and, you know, the youth leaders there and stuff that really uh, filled, a, I think, a pretty pivotal role in my life when it came to, uh, yeah, like uh, mentors specifically uh-huh. like older, older guys that I could look up to and kind of uh, could, uh, yeah, just kind of model, uh, model things for me that it would have been very hard. I think just uh, by my mom uh, alone. Um, and she was, so yeah, there was a, a healthy social network and support there, I guess is what, what I realized when I look back and I'm very grateful for. That's great. Um, would you, can you kind of think back to how you, became interested in philosophy. I know you've pursued it quite a bit as an academic uh, focus um, and a passion, but was there something you read uh, early on that kind of provoked you to, to start asking questions um, that you remember? You know, I think if, if I were going to try to pinpoint a, a time or event that kind of led to a, a philosophical or a spiritual or intellectual kind of awakening. For me, it was all intertwined, the way I remember it. It would have been probably when I got to college. You know, I'd, I'd grown up uh, going to church. I even went to a boarding academy. But the way I kind of remember things, I didn't really start thinking about things uh, until I probably got to college. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of this is a typical experience of a lot of college students. You start uh, wondering what you personally think about all the stuff you heard up, uh, you heard of growing up. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I was kind of on that journey. Uh, and I remember I started reading uh, religious books for the first time uh, that, you know, my youth pastor or my mom had given me. Usually I would just kind of 
I will not read them. (laughs) I got to to college and I actually started reading the Bible for the first time. And one of the, I, uh, the first book I read that I remember that made just a really deep impact on me was the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Yeah. So I read this book as, uh, you know, for the first time in my life. And I just remember it just grabbing me, uh, you know, and, uh, these issues of, I guess, you know, the language and philosophies, existential questions about yep. you know, what is it all about? Um, what should uh, one be doing with their life? You know, this, this book really just kind of, you know, it starts off, everything is meaningless, right? And so you imagine yeah. like an 18-year-old kid reading that and thinking, wow, this is really deep. So, <laughs> so that was probably the uh, kind of a, an awakening for me. And, and it kind of made me, it really convinced me that I should take religion seriously. Mm. And so I started uh, studying my Bible, uh, kind of a little bit of an intensity, I think, (laughs) when I I look back at it, that may not have been very healthy, but uh, I was, I was really, really interested and awake to uh, trying to learn a lot more about my faith and the things I had grown up hearing. Now it was uh, roughly at about this time that I had friends that I'd grown up with, uh, actually several of them, with me in church and they uh, had gone off to uh, other universities. I was um, at Southern Adventist university and they were studying at uh, non-Adventist kind of uh, settings and they were taking uh, religion classes and having debates late night in their dorm rooms and uh, emailing me about them. Right. And so they would ask me questions you know, uh, about something that their professor had said about the Bible or, you know, how to make sense of people that come from different religious traditions. And I, um, I think they were emailing me because they thought I, I should have, uh, or I would know some of the answers to these things. They knew I was studying religion. Um, and I, uh, didn't know really, uh, what to say to them. Um, you know, and I felt like I should kind of. <laughs> so uh, this is where I started wondering, I guess going back to this question of truth. Um, how do I know? I know that the stuff that I grew up hearing, stuff the Bible talks about is important. Uh, so the second kind of question I started asking uh, in college in those early years was, how do I know uh, any of this is actually true? And so you know, the word for trying to figure that some, some of that stuff out, uh, eventually learned was apologetics, which would be, you know, uh, defending the faith. And there's a whole body of, uh, literature kind of, uh, churned out by uh, people who want to talk about these things. And this is where, you know, I was reading CS Lewis. I was listening to somebody named Robbie Zacharias. Yeah. Classic. Uh, yeah, I know, right? I was reading uh, J.P. Moreland, you know, evidence that demands a verdict and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, this just kind of really got me into, I guess, more intellectual questions about faith. Uh, you know, what are the reasons one can give for uh, why they believe what they believe? Um, if you were trying to talk to somebody that um, didn't believe in God or didn't believe in the Bible, uh, could you uh, come to a common understanding? Could you convince them? Right. Um, yeah. So this kind of stuff. So I guess it's uh, to you know make the same uh, the answer more brief. I would say yeah, it was college uh-huh. um, during college, uh, reading the Bible for myself and trying to think through things on my own, as well as 
or respond to questions from some of my friends. That's kind of what I think I look back and kind of set me on this path. You know, among uh, my friends uh, that there was this, um, a similar kind of path where you move from sort of, um, let's say youth group faith into starting to ask questions and then reading uh, a lot of those apologists. Um, but you know, I think of them as sort of gateway drugs for me into reading, you know, in, in my experience, starting to then ask questions about the apologists and it's, and then actually going back to, cause a lot of those apologists like to reference Plato and Aristotle and um, from there it got me interested in really the history of philosophy. Was that similar for you? Did you then become interested in sort of the sources for their arguments and, and did that provoke you to ask uh, more questions? Yeah, you know, so that I love the way you framed it, uh, doing the apologetics and trying to uh, convince myself um, that what I believed was actually true or better than everybody else's beliefs. <laughs> that was kind of the, uh, <laughs> the the first stage, right? The gateway, as you call it. Yeah, but then after that, you um, you know, you read enough, you think through uh, things, and you kind of get you become more aware of the larger uh, larger history and tradition of philosophy, you know, and you start realizing that the apologetic kind of defensive mode is just kind of one aspect of philosophy and actually may not necessarily actually be, if one is just perpetually in that state or solely focused on trying to defend one's beliefs, uh, you know, is maybe kind of carving out a very narrow, uh, maybe even a dangerous kind of way of thinking about faith, you know, making it reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I guess if you want to talk about uh, the following stage of kind of um, growth and understanding, it would be uh, in discovering Kierkegaard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who, who has all kinds of interesting things to say, including the idea, including things like, um, you know, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase him, you know, how apologetics or trying to defend the faith is uh, a betrayal of the faith. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that faith is not something that needs to be defended. Um, and in doing so, you actually uh, warp or distort uh, faith itself. Yeah, this kind of stuff. I remember when I first read it, I was like, well, what is this? Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and then and yeah, so this would be like a, like a more of a postmodern approach to a reasoning and, and faith. But yeah, then you, um, you know, for me, I, you know, went and, and uh, started studying philosophy uh, kind of from a very historical standpoint when I went to do more grad school. Yeah, and then you can kind of see that, uh, you know, this the, the task of reasoning and what it means to do philosophy, actually there are several, you know, there are different versions of it as one looks at it historically that have been emphasized by different kinds of thinkers. So, yeah, I would say that, you know, to, to reason, uh, to be philosophical, there are several modes of of doing that, uh, part of one of the modes is yeah, uh, re- reasoning about something, maybe trying to defend what one believes. That'd be something kind of constructive. But then I think there's also a deconstructive kind of critical aspect of philosophy that's really important um, to uh, to also utilize and, and use. Is there um, is there one? 
um, thinker that you return to for pure pleasure, um, that you just, you know, appreciate it um, over and over again, or it's not really about the um, just the the beauty of the writing or the thinking, but just because it kind of connects with you in an interesting way. Um, ooh, great question. Um, you know, I've already mentioned uh, somebody I really think is a lot of fun to read. Um, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He's just uh, he's fun. He's provocative. Such an and, interesting uh, life story, too. I was I read several biographies about him just because he was such an outrageous and complicated figure with a kind of early life that appealed or at least seemed to parallel the lives of my fellow college students, I think, in interesting ways. Yeah, so he's got interesting ideas and an interesting style of writing and communicating, but also, yeah, the interesting biography to kind of match all that. So he's good. Uh, you know, I, you know, I can answer the question, I guess, you know, trying to select more contemporary stuff, but I'll go really deep historical. Um, I, I actually like a reading and when I get a chance to uh, teaching uh, Plato a lot. And I think it's not just because of the, um, the ideas that he's broaching, he's getting, you know, a lot of the big important issues on the table, but the style that it's written in, uh, which is the dialogue format, which would be two people talking to each other, um, kind of makes it uh, fun to read. You know, you can yeah. kind of imagine a conversation of people kind of going back and forth. And, you know, in my mind, that's just the classical way of doing philosophy. It's people having a conversation with each other, uh, trying to get to the bottom of something, trying to understand each other better, and also maybe understand or come to more clarity or a clear understanding on what they're talking about. And so, yeah, I think uh, Plato's a lot of fun for that reason. And uh, you could, I mean, I think you could use the word pleasurable to read. Whereas if you read other people who maybe come after him and, and don't write in that format, it's really hard, you know, you just kind of yeah. <laughs> concentrate and try to really focus and it becomes uh, more work. Um, well, that's great. Well, you know, I'm curious if, um, if you have any thoughts on, as uh, someone who teaches philosophy in, in an Adventist in, in an Adventist institution um, and help you know found the Society of Adventist Philosophers and has headed it for a while, if you have any thoughts on what philosophy offers an Adventist, why should Adventists care about philosophy? Oh, yeah. Why should Adventists uh, care about philosophy? You know, um, I'm going to actually uh, take a, a response that I had a colleague uh, share explaining uh, why he teaches geography. And I'm going to kind of co-opt it and talk about philosophy. But, yeah, I remember um, I was adjuncting at uh, Kennesaw State University a few years ago. It's one of the uh, institutions I've uh, taught at on a part-time basis. And, you know, a bunch, all of us adjuncts, we shared this kind of common office and we'd hang in, we'd hang out in there. And these included adjuncts from other schools and departments, including one of my friends who had a PhD in geography and that's what he taught. And I'd never heard uh, of geography as an academic discipline. I didn't know you could take classes in it. So I was kind of asking him why, uh, why he teaches geography uh, as kind of a basic question and, 
he, his answer really kind of struck me. He said, you know, um, our sense of place, uh, he said, uh, is kind of tied up with our understanding of boundaries and uh, places. And he says, and that changes over time. And so he, you know, he's basically arguing or he's sharing, you know, I teach geography because I, I want to help people locate themselves in time and space. Right. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah. uh, then I started thinking about, hey, wait a minute. Uh, what is it that I'm doing uh, in these intro to philosophy classes? And I was like, you know, I, maybe I'm trying to do the, the same thing, but it's, uh, it's conceptually. Right. And so I think, um, yeah, a lot of times when we don't really understand the intellectual terrain, uh, trying to navigate our lives, uh, whether it be individually or as a community, can be frustrating, can be confusing, because we really don't know uh, where we're really going, uh, where, where we're coming from. And so, yeah, I think one of the things that philosophy does that's really valuable um, and could be really valuable for Adventism is yeah, giving us kind of a sense of the map. If, if you uh, want to use that metaphor um, and helping students uh, individually kind of navigate their own lives to understand uh, what the options are, uh, what, what they've grown up hearing, where it kind of fits into the map, uh, where they like to go. Uh, where they where, where they see themselves headed, and so um, and I think in many ways um, philosophy can do the same for the Adventist community too. That we together can you know kind of get a better sense of where we've come from, uh, what the options are uh, in the future, and where we'd like to go uh, collectively. I think a lot of times um, you know as a tradition we uh, because. Uh, we don't know kind of the history and the terrain very well. We assume that we don't have any kind of assumptions or commitments uh, in our uh, way of doing theology or the way we think and, and, and talk about things. But, um, yeah, I mean, what we think is just Adventism, uh, a lot of times has been really, really impacted by intellectual trends and, and uh, culture, and uh, we're not even aware of it, right? And so yeah. I think uh, philosophy helps us become more self-aware or philosophical reflection. I think that's absolutely key and so well said. Um, the more that you read other people's thinking about their own thinking, it 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 works in a beautiful way if you're open and committed to the the rigor of uh, following their thoughts. I think it you know just like you know exercise. It really um, builds, um, at least I found in my own life, a sense of self-reflection uh, and a joy. Yeah. So I think there's, I mean, I, I think there's two ways then, I mean, we can kind of nuance this issue. What's the benefit of philosophy? The way I just kind of articulated, which would be kind of providing a conceptual map, that would be more like um, studying philosophy, looking at figures um, or historical periods to kind of get a sense of the, the history of. Uh, mm -hmm. or even on, on a contemporary scene, kind of the map of who's saying what. That's definitely important. But I think, you know, your, your metaphor of like bodybuilding or exercising, I think then there's also uh, distinct skills that one um, strengthens or gains by 
studying philosophy, and that would be, uh, you know, self-reflection is one, which would be thinking about ideas and, and exercising. Okay, so what do I think? Where where am I in relation to what has uh, just been articulated or stated? And so self-reflection is one skill or tool, and the other one would be also, um, and I mean this in, I guess, kind of the uh, technical sense, but yeah, uh, learning how to argue well, <laughs> which would be um, following uh, trains of thought, which I mean, uh, here is um, a, a conclusion, and here are the reasons that this person is giving to try to advance this point, this conclusion. Uh, does it does it work right? Understanding what that you know why it's being said, <laughs> and then how to how to really engage it. You know, and I, this is a really important skill that I know for me. Like I, I, you know, it developed kind of late, and I realized it's because you know growing up, um, you know, in, in the community I did, the Admus community I did, um, you know, I, I didn't really learn how to argue. Um, you know, I learned how to. Uh, exegete and apply right so oh, you yeah. you take a passage you take uh, what somebody says whether it be a church authority or uh, the bible and 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 the mode of engagement isn't okay so why is this person saying it and do i agree or disagree uh, that's not the skill you're learning right the skill you're learning is what does it say how do i apply it to my life <laughs> right? and so the the mode of being philosophical of actually learning how to reason about things that was something that Actually, you know, for me, you know, I was pretty late in grad school when I took classes and some of this stuff. I was like, whoa, what is this? This is so hard, you know, um, because I wasn't argumentative in that kind of way. Um, so anyway. Well, that's so great. Um, yeah. If there's a say there's a, a person out there who is uh, is interested in pursuing the life of the mind um, in connection with their faith, is there a place that you would recommend they start? Uh, you, and what, you mean places in like a resource? Yeah, say, uh, I mean, you, you know, I'd say a platonic dialogue like Euthyphro, which is one that I read when I was 17. Um, and it just mm-hmm. kind of lit my mind on fire. Is there one that you think that, uh, a person should, you know, check out just to kind of dip their toe into philosophy? You know, when, um, I think, you know, who I would recommend when it comes to, like, uh, what to read, it would really depend on if I were talking to somebody, hey, is there a um, is there a question or issue that you're really, really interested in, oh. right? You know, what is it that that you just think of, you just, you know, kind of is on the, uh, yeah, kind of on your mind, you know? And I think that's the best way to, to start is to kind of How about take truth? something. Uh, the question of truth. Yeah. What would you recommend someone read if they're kind of interested in uh, that as a intro text? The Art of Living, the classic manual on virtue, happiness and effectiveness. It's a translation of Epictetus. Yeah, it must be uh, his discourses or something. So let's um, let's talk about the upcoming conference. You already talked about the the, um, theme of truth. Um, Who's going to be the uh, plenary speaker? Yeah, we're really excited, um, and we have confirmation, so fingers crossed, and assuming it's going to all work out, but yeah, we have a David Bentley Hart coming and uh, speaking for us, offering the keynote. That's fantastic. He's 
uh, huge. Um, why uh, w- w- do you know? Well, what what do you hope he uh, talks about, um, or uh, why why do you think his interest in aesthetics will uh, be instructive for uh, the for Adventists interested in philosophy? Well, I mean, we just got lucky with Hart. We reached out to him, uh, reached out to him through actually um, one of the society members who somehow was in email contact with him. And we just, once he expressed interest and willingness and openness, we're like, okay, he can come and we'll figure out a way to uh, work his talk into the topic, <laughs> you know, whatever he wants to talk about. But, you know, um, you know, David Bentley Hart is one of these figures that uh, has written and writes about so many different kinds of topics Yeah, that, um, you know, I think he could uh, approach the topic of truth uh, from a, a lot of different angles. Um, but let me here pull up uh, the title that I have for his talk. And I think it gets at a little bit. Yeah, he has written some stuff on aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And I think he is, um, if we know anything from the title, he might be broaching that topic um, with us too. Yeah, so the tentative title for the keynote address is Truth is Goodness, Goodness is Beauty, Beauty is Truth. Uh, on the mediations of style. Okay. So I beyond that, I don't know exactly. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the <laughs> topic that, is that opens be. up. He's a he's definitely a, a very good scholar because he gives a vague title that he can cram any ideas into. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I get from this title is is that the topic of truth um, is not just theoretical because it's connected to uh, goodness, which is ethical, and ethics and truth uh, theory are connected to beauty, which is aesthetics. Which is yes. So I think he's going to talk about the unity of the um, unity of these things. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing him. Um, so let's go ahead and wrap up here. And um, I'm just curious what, uh, as someone who um, teaches at an Adventist institution and thinks um, both privately, but also publicly about um, faith and connection to um, the questions of truth, but also of ethics. Um, What gives you hope in uh, the Adventist community? Yeah, I think what, uh, what gives me hope is, the people, uh, the many uh, good people that are a part of it and working together to help um, Adventism grow and mature. Um, a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, for example, working on this project together, Society of Adventist Philosophers. Um, yeah, as long as we can get good people together um, to talk together, to reason together, to work together, I think there is the possibility of um, growth and change. And yeah, I see that and that gives me hope. That's great. Well, thanks for uh, talking with uh, the Spectrum community today. Hey, thanks so much for the invite to have the conversation. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive.